Greetings, ladies and mental gents, and welcome to this patch video for the web novel First Contact, written by Ralts Bloodthorn, which is available on both Royal Road and HFY. The links for them will be down below. And as always, I hope that you enjoy, and if you do, please consider supporting the channel. First Contact, Chapter 58, Vuxton. The sky looked like it was burning as Buxton sat down on a piece of broken plasticrete. There were bursts of bright white light in the clouds now and then, often with black specks that would fall from the sky. Some of the larger specks often transfixed by beams of light from the sky. Buxton had gotten used to the different types of humans. Marines were big, power armor or warborgs heavily armed and charged into combat although they would stop to help and rescue people in the search and rescue needed help. Army, which were digging into the create bases and fortifications, used artillery, tanks, and air support. Air Force, which supplies a close air support, bombing runs, supply drops, troop transport. Navy, which provides dropships, supply runs, and were fighting in the rear orbits of the planets as well as the rest of the system with the lighter ships. It was all wrapped up in space walls, which had the heavy ships as well as other things that Vuxton didn't quite understand. Vuxton understood more about the military than he had ever wanted to in the last three days. He understood what a close air support meant. He understood what fire for effect meant. He understood what bring the rain was. He also knew what request evac meant. He learned a new thing, something that he had never wanted to learn. He had been carrying a wounded Isekai female from the wreckage of a large habitat when holes had opened up in the clouds. White cord red beams slicing down from the heavens, slicing into the streets, slicing into the buildings. Buildings had collapsed in both sides of the street, burying the street. He had thrown himself on the ground, covering the Isekai as the rubble fell around them. Two Heavy chunks hit him, and he managed to stay on all fours, staring at the Isekai through a clear visor, willing his body to hold out, willing his armor to hold. It had. It had been trapped in the rubble for almost an hour, till the poor boy oozed through the cracks between the rubble. The poor boy rubbed his whiskers on the face of the Aikiki, who slowly relaxed and started to smile and lay between Buxton and Aikiki. Impact mode appeared on his visor as he felt the armor stiffen and joined Slock in place. Buxton relaxed, kind of hanging in the armor. A few minutes later, the sergeant pulled the rubble off of him, grabbing him and pulling him up. He felt the armor come alive again and helped carry the Aikiki to the waiting dropship that had landed while he'd been buried. She had lost her leg, severed by the rubble, but was calm, petting the purboy on her chest and smiling at it. You are right, Trooper Vuxton, Sergeant had asked. I am now, Vuxton said carefully. You let me know if you'll start having problems. You were down there for quite a while, Sergeant said. I wasn't afraid, Vuxton said honestly. Why not, Sergeant asked. He'd been worried about the little guy since parking lot and the corpsec building. His anxiety had been way too low. I knew that you wouldn't leave me there. Not while I was alive. I knew the poor boy Kitty Kitties would come looking for me, Buxton said honestly. I was more worried about the Aikiki. Sergeant Uganga nodded. That's right. I'm glad you held on to that. The dropship lifted off, the engine screaming as heavy armored ship took off. The other three humans came over, looking around. 
What happened with the ambulance? Buxton asked. The armor howled. They rocked their way out of the rubble, Sergeant said. Everyone on it is all right and is on its way to the evac station. That's a combat evac model, Books, Mixie said. Not the first time something like that has happened to one of them. That's why the frames got built-in integrity screens, like they used in the light torture fighters. Oh, Buxton said. He looked up at the sky. The sun was setting and it was already going dark. He looked at the four humans with him. The others had remained at evacuation station, unable to keep going. Buxton had touched each of them when they had told him, then left. He didn't care what happened to him. His family was safe. That was all that mattered. Devil Dogs was saying there was a whole crap pot of precursors dropping on the planet, Donovan said. Buxton looked at Donovan and shrugged. Just saying, man. He was looking right at Donovan when it happened. The beam of light, bright red and silver one, went straight through the human's head, coring and out the entire helmet. Donovan had stood there for a second, and then the suit just collapsed. Contact! Sergeant yelled, putting the rifle to play. Buxton scrambled to his rifle, but it was gone. He must have lost it when the building had fallen. He reached out and grabbed Donovan's weapon and ran up next to Sergeant. Sinking, visor kept flashing. He could see them, four of them running on the articulated spike legs and slammed into the pavement. Brownish metal, looking rusty and covered in dirt, all blood, patchy in places, with something that Buxton couldn't identify. They screeched as they charged, clicking metal claws and firing heavy lasers on top of mounted cannons. Sergeant aimed his rifle up slightly and fired. Front of the lead one exploded, exposing wiring and pistons the all manner of internal structures. Ready. Buxton aimed at the other ones, not trying to get complicated, and started firing at the one that was still launching forward. The front blurred away. Instead of a light thwap under his previous rifle, this one fired a thick silvery blue beam. Where it touched the structure, it blew big chunks of metal into vapor and liquid. The first one went down, Mixie and Lacar joined in, a fighter running up in cowboy mode, and five of them kept shooting. The fighter's firepower made the difference, the heavy ramjet ring penetrator slamming through the armor and machinery with equal ease. It was over quickly. Buxton turned around, staggering over to the chunk of plasticrete, sat down and looked in front of him. It was dark already, still raining, and the rain streaking and the staining the plasticrete with everything else as a sticky black. The clouds overhead still glowed red, with fires burning inside. But he didn't have eyes for that. He stared at the ground. Buxton just stared at the human body. It was just limp, the meat on the neck cauterized and smoking. He could see the melted metal and the circuitry in the stump. He just stared. He couldn't believe it had happened. He'd seen an overseer shoot a human in the head with a heavy ion pistol with no effect. But that beam had passed through his head without even stopping. He didn't think it could happen. He sat on the chunk of plasticrete, just staring. Doc struggled up to the top of the pile of rubber. Leaning down next to Donovan, he looked up and shook his head. Brainstem hid. He took out his suds. If they bring him back, he'll be a canner for sure. Doc said softly. Is he dead? Buxton asked. I'm sorry, Bux, but yeah, Doc said, standing up. He didn't think it could happen. Buxton knew he was crying, thick tears that oozed down his furry face. All he could do was stare at Donovan's body. He didn't think that humans could die. You okay, kid? Sergeant asked. 
Buxton looked up, opened his mouth to say no. A bright flash lit the world, white blinding. Buxton's vision cleared just in time to see it. A rolling cloud of red and black rising from the center of the city. Another flash, and another, and another, and yet another. One final one for good measure. Five 1.2 megaton nuclear blasts surrounding the 12.5 megaton blast in the center. The outer ones detonating in a star pattern around the center, increasing the damage, maximizing the force. The precursors had reached down with atomic hammers to strike the city center. The shockwaves overlapped, increasing the strength by the others, smashed into Buxton, knocking him off the hill of the rubble like a giant had kicked him in the face. He bounced twice, caught air, and slammed through a building, the glass and plastic shattering around him. He bounced off something hard, fell, and smashed into the street. His armor pulled his limbs into a T-like pose. Brentlek sat in the forest clearing, on a comfortable chair looking at the brood carriers around her. Many of them had wounded humans in their arms, stroking them gently, nuzzling them, crooning to them. The humans had been wounded on the same planet her husband still fought to protect, brought to the hospital ship, and sometimes when the wounded were severe enough, brought here. Brentlek had seen how much the brood carriers liked humans. Humans were warm. Humans smelled nice. Humans loved. Love human, good human, safe human. A brood carrier crooned her song to a human. He had no injuries that were apparent, but he moved slowly, stiffly. His skin was pale, and he was bald. He stuttered when he talked and had problems remembering, and cried often, putting his face in his hands and weeping while the brood carrier would try and soothe him. He was sleeping, now gently by a brood carrier, who covered his chest protectively with a fluffy tail. His name was Donovan. He had been shot through the head by a precursor, and it had damaged something that made it so that he was traumatized, even after the Confederacy had somehow saved him. Major pinged her data link. Please come in, Brendelek said over her stool, and slightly tender data link. The leaves rustled behind her as she watched the brood carrier pet the human who was laying on her lap. The human had been injured by radiation that had attacked his DNA making regeneration of his limbs a long and painful affair as his cells had to be cleaned. The human came to the brood carriers to be held after each gene therapy session. The brood carriers sang to him and stroked him until he went to sleep. Brentlick had learned humans healed in the most when they slept. Brentlick, I need you to brace yourself, Major said. Brentlick swallowed, wondering what it was. Another badly wounded human, a potling that had been saved against all odds, a weeping brood carrier, heavy with eggs and clutching orphan potlings. It was fur, crusted with blood of its mates. The last one weighed heavy on her shoulder. Citizenship is a heavy burden. I'm ready, Brentlick said, slowly turning around. At first, she could not believe it. She blinked, staring, and rubbed her eyes, then rubbed her eyes again, still not believing what she was seeing. Vuxton stood there next to the major. He looked awful. The fur around his eyes and jaw was silver. One eye was cybernetic. His leg was in a traction brace to keep the bone straight and still. He was missing an ear. He looked terrible. He looked wonderful. She flew off the mossy rock she always sat on, running to him. She grabbed him in her arms, sure that this time, like all the others, that she would wake up in empty arms. Instead, 
Arms were around her, squeezing her, one arm weaker than the other. I am home, my love, Buxton said, his voice rough, raspy, but still his. I am home, and I will never let you go. V-Core, old metal, system cleared of precursor threat, request relief and rotation. Nothing follows. Terran Confederacy Citizenship Agency. The attached names, numbers, and genetic codes are all new citizens with full rights, responsibilities, and privileges thereof. Search. Vuxton 68934-6221-527194. One record found. Full citizen. Terran Confederacy. Search. Brendelik 8271492356156132. One record found. Full citizenship. Terran Confederacy. Nothing follows. Manted free worlds. We welcome our Talcan brothers to the fold. Our dreamers and prophet singers, our seers welcome you. Freedom, horrible, horrible freedom awaits. May you find its nectar sweet. End of chapter. First Contact, Part 59, Cock. Captain's Personal Log, Stardate 8532.4. We've been out in the dead zone fringe for the past two months, examining the old precursor world that was unsurveyed. Nothing of interest to report. My Spock was disappointed that a hundred and change million year old set of ruins had been largely devastated by time on a largely dead world. Examination showed that the world was subject to massive amount of orbital strikes, glassing, Oceans boiled away, and massive atmospheric loss. My Ahura had been, well, less than stellar. I think she did a lot of door-sitting to rack up the rankings since she missed an urgent communication from Starfleet that we haven't been able to get back. Going to have to replace her. Not to mention, she is using her the Ahura look by wearing the Discovery uniform. That's not okay. Going to head back to Deep Space Nine Station and see what's going on. The transmission was seriously encoded and pulsed directly to us. I'll turn in our survey results and see if we can get a Type 3 warp engines. The Type 2s are good, but my Scotty has told me that it is picking up a lot of harmonics from Cypher Space, like a rumble that keeps coming. Long patrols, almost three years, and most exciting thing that we've had was a talk with a boar cube that was heading back to the edge of the zone. Their cloning banks and sud stacks had got blown out so they didn't want to risk anything and mark themselves as no PvP. We did provide them assistance to them due to their status as neutral vessel and Nana forged them a new creation engine. They were cagey as to what they ran into and could not be damaged by a BB-class bore cube that bad. Cock 8873 Captain's personal log, stardate 8532.14 I don't know what that was in warp space, what, whatever it was, it knocked us clear out of warp and blew out the part in a cell. That rambling and hyperspace is still going. Every few hours, the rumble lasting for an hour or so. It's bad enough that I had to order the holodeck shut down due to the harmonics. Ayahura really screwed the Orion girl. I told her to keep an ear out for any unusual traffic. And what does she do? Roots the priority message from Starfleet with all of the All Fleet's header to her personal comm device. 
the encryption bricked her comm device and the message. Later, she punted another message that came in with all guilds header while she was taking a break and listed it as idle over to our Spox terminal and bricked half of the science lab including our Type 3 nanoforge. I'll be filing a formal complaint against her and demanding a point review. My Spock thinks that there's something going on, something we missed by Auhuhura's incompetence, and he's pretty upset. About a step from pitching her out of the airlock. I've never seen Spock so mad in his ears twitch. She keeps forgetting that this isn't an EVR run and keeps walking around with an idol over her head. No matter, Scotty told me it'll only be a few more days until we warp drive. Cock 8873 Captain's personal log, stardate 8532.38. Well, we've got power back. I had to put Ahura into the brig to guarantee her safety. She had fired up the holodeck, overriding the lockout code, and was running a next-gen Mary Sue sim. In the middle of one of those rumbles, she forwarded a message marked confed.mull to engineering. That pricked everything. Our nanoforge and warp core, everything... Had a data down there, new guy and playing a data, literally melted his brain. I mean, was a tronic alloy running out of his ears, eyes and nose and mouth that interacted with the rumble of the holodeck generation field. It gutted the ship, destroyed the respawn pods and Spock and Scotty think that it may have blown out our suds auto update. We've been using the shuttles to stay on atmosphere while we got the warp core back up. We haven't yet, but we've got the life support back. It's been nice to eat a real meal and not the shuttle's emergency stalls. Scotty's estimate is about when you let me bash that witch's head in, or when we can get the warp core and engines back up. Cock 8873 Captain's Log, Stardate 8532.52 We've got the warp core back up, the suds can't update, meaning that if anyone gets killed, they're stuck in the backup of 4-4 four, four weeks. Crew members are livid, plus the respawn pods are screwed. We tried regenning the data and uh, it wasn't good. His screams haunt my dreams. Now we just need to fix the nacelles. The computer started having problems again. Damn, I'm tired. I might step back from Kark rank for a couple years. This mission is being bad. Kark 8873 Captain's personal log, star date 8532.85. But no better, I'd swear Uhura was a Romulan spy. We found out, finally, where the computer instability was coming from. She had cracked the templates in the ship's communications database. Some of them had a nasty, and I mean nasty, very in them. That's what's been hashing our computers. So our Hura doesn't know jack about me space LARP, and apparently just dull sat on EVR stuff. She loaded the computer of my ship with cracked templates full of Viri, and she bricked half of our crap. On the plus side, it looks like we'll have warp 1 capability in a few days. Oh, and our rescue beacons? Uh, bricked. Cock 8873 Captain's personal log, star date 8532.141 Holy shatner, where do I begin? First, the port nacelle went down again. We were still sitting in between two planets when the whole Gorn fleet dropped on us. We were not talking one of the little ones. I think it was every Gorn ship out there, full of lizard dudes. We're even talking uh, taking a couple of other species-only ships where everyone on the ship was born a Syrian. We figured that we were screwed since they immediately opened the such channel to get the comp- compressed backup of everyone. 
You only do that when you're about to have a major fleet engagement. Then the fleet big rock thrower himself comes me, not on my Starfleet com, but my personal com, tells me he'll send a shuttle right now, told me that I could bring my Spock, McCoy, and Scotty. What we heard, we didn't believe. Full template unlocks, we're not talking about some hope of luring back old players, we're talking about, you want it, it's yours template unlocks. Apparently, some group of Xeno species out past the dead zone woke up an entire precursor fleet, getting the crap tashiard out of them. Also, the Senfed told everyone to grab their crap and go and help. Showed me on the message my Uhura balked. It was an emergency update for the Type 2C's warp engines, that rumble we were getting from hyperspace. That's the low bands of overpressured. You know those bands, they're slow ones, and they're mainly used by colony ships and long-haul truckers. Yeah, so much metal has started to move that it's causing hyperspace reverberation into jump space and warp space. I had Scotty run how much metal that might be and he told me that the math comes up to moving than gigatons of metal. He said that you could probably see the bulge from the hyperspace and subspace. The Gorn helped us repair and update our warp engines. He said that he couldn't tell me much more. I didn't have the right security header so he couldn't be sure that I was actually cock ranked. Oh, and because the doofy moron put a cracked templates on my computer, he had to register me as a possible pirate vessel. I should airlock that moron. Cock8873. Captain's personal log, stardate 8532.159. We made it to the nearest Deep Space Nine station and, uh, well, free repairs on my ship, free templates across your ranking and below, all qualified persons. Looks like all my time jumping around classes paid off because template restrictions are being lifted. Kota is being fitted out with Type 7 engines, new warp cores, new suds rack, new respawn pods, Type 6 nanoforge, Type 14 creation engine, new replicators, new transportation system, shielded and encrypted manned trans beams, using the suds rack and error checking. Still comes with a neural degradation warning, but hey, them's the risks of the game. Our Hura problem was solved. Turns out that she was an account sharer. Got my name cleared from the cracked templates. Turned out that she was actually running those templates to a ship that never showed up. Anyway, turns out that if the full-blown precursor attack across a bunch of sentient systems on the other side of the dead zone, we're not talking a little one. We're talking full fleets of the things. I'm trying to decide if I want the Dakota reconfigured for battle or not. I'd planned on taking a break for a couple decades after the Borg War came back in 8527, when Starfleet had got stomped so bad. Because my Battle.net rating is so high, I've even been offered the chance to come back to StarCraft or even Red Alert, or the 40k RTS for multiplayer V-Percursor maps. My Spock isn't up to it. He took me up on my LFG because I was supposed to be doing science-only missions and this last mission really blew out his nerves. I feel for the guy, he's a good player, but his nerves have been shot since he had a bad Voyager run with a really bad captain. The Death Armada scandal a few years back really soured a lot of players. I'll probably go ahead and see who wants to drop and run the Analyph G call. Cock8873 Captain's personal log, Stardate 8532.159 the Dakota's been reconfigured for old Trek ship classes since you're allowed to do cross seasons at this time. Loaded up with the good stuff, but used an old Trek Super Dreadnought class that's illegal in any other seasons. 
The LFG went good, a bunch of restrictions have been lifted, so I've got some weird crew members, but they're all high-ranking. My Spock is a fox girl out of the bass, and she's got a solid ranking and actually has a few IRL science creds. My America-class super dreadnought allows me for a gunnery and security positions, so I took a few heavy hitters. Even got a Riker to join us. He's a former captain, so if anything happens to me, my crew and ship are in good hands. We'll do a shakedown cruise on the way to the new systems as soon as everyone gets their mandatory suds deep scan done for the main stack back on Luna. Cock 8873 Captain's personal log, stardate 8532.211 Arrived in new system. It's a wreck. According to my Sulu, Eslis are not ranked for this. The systems we came into was a uh, allied space, but within 30 minutes before we could even get light speed sensor returns, we had precursors on us. It's easy, looking at the heavy shielding and everything we play with and figure nothing can really hurt us. I mean, we tussle with the Borg players, sometimes might even fight with the 40k guys, but this, this was bad. We don't have the NCV rounds, and it only takes a half a dozen or so hits from those to completely drop your shields. We warped out, came out in a different system, and sure as Janeway, those things jumped us again. Different ship types, but lean and efficient. One on one, hell, twenty on one, I could probably take their light attack craft, but when they swarm you by the thousands on one or more, well, you GTFO. Your crew and your ship are more important than putting into the darkness. My Klanons have to wear psychic dampeners that scream those precursors to drive them into a Klanon battle frenzy. Ran a nanoforge pretty hard building psychic shields for Dakota. It was worth it. Our third system, we got hit, but we were ready. I ran up some kinetic shields and turned them over to my Spock, and she managed to reconfigure them to take NCV hits. My new Ahura was amazing. She managed to isolate the battle chatter well enough that we figured out where the big daddy was. We went in cocky, and wow, my crew is glad that I'm not a point hound. That ship was big. We're talking thousands of miles across and 300 miles thick. We're talking armor miles thick, main gun batteries, not by the dozens, but by the dozens of miles. It started shedding huge amounts of parasite torture fighters, we fired photon torpedoes and GTFO'd. We're sitting in dead system now. No life on the planets in the screen zone, and there's still a lava on that bottom of the craters, the canyons. The precursors messed this place up. Cock 8873. Captain's personal log, stardate 8532.232. Had to have a major discussion with the crew. Confid is offering military-grade weapons to us, qualified LARPers. Apparently, surviving those three system sensor sweeps impressed some of the military guys. They looked over our records and complimented me on knowing when to run. Turns out my Riker held the Reserve Space Force Commission from about 200 years ago. That means he can put us in some serious weapons. I can't believe that the Doki girls and the Kawaii Orcs got thumped so bad. It's a madhouse here. The crew decided that they want to keep going. Everyone knows one or two mat trances won't blow you out. If you aren't sudsed up, you just gotta watch it a bit. Had some of the neo-sapient and uncivilized neo-species tested for us. A major neurological defunctions. 
I've got an America class, which means I've got the big transport bays. We're talking drop the entire battalion of red shirts onto the planet and once each bay. I've got six bays. That means I can also recover as many. It's galling to find out that these precursors hit so hard. I was all dreaming of rolling up on them and hand phasing proton torpedoes out crap out of them. Instead, they hit back, and they hit back hard. But the Dakota is tough enough to take a beating. Guild excuses my non-canon modifications to the Dakota, since we lost a couple good captains out there already. The Confed guys want us to pull refugee evacuations because we can't fight back, take a beating, and bring up refugees. Plus, I've got the life support and medical sections to handle it all. The crew wants to do it. My Spock said that since everyone else is rushing to engage in combat, we need to uphold the true nature of the Federation and save people. She gave me an impassioned speech, joined by our Uhura, about the real message of the Federation and Confed isn't, we're tough, rawr, but rather, we bring hope that everyone forgets and that we win the excitement of space battle. She reminded me that everyone, while we've got our suds, then don't think about mortality. These people on the planets do not. They only have one life, no respawn. Uhura asked us how we'd act if we didn't have suds or respawns, how precious our one life would be. It was almost unanimous. The Dakota is going to be running rescue operations. It's what's right, dammit. I'm respecting Cock 8873. Cock's personal log, Stardate 8532.238. Entered the system broadcasting a distress beacon and encountered three Goliath-class precursor machines attacking the system while Confed forces counterattacked, proceeded to integrate with Confed forces and began rescue operations. The Dakota is well served in such a role as the multi-purpose early Starfleet Super Dreadnought with extensive life support and security, as well as over-redundant life support, we should be able to affect the rescue of many beings who might have otherwise been lost. Crew confidence is high. Picard, 8873 End of chapter And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode. And I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.